Hey, good morning. Good morning. Hey, uh, we're continuing uh, our study, as you can very well see on the monitors up there, in First Thessalonians. And, uh, you know, last week we talked about, the, the portion of Scripture that we covered last week talked about uh, basically a, this, this notion of, of this uh, symbiotic relationship that God has called us to. You guys remember we talked about that last week? And when I say symbiotic, I'm talking about He has called us to a relationship with one another to the benefit of one another. It means the relationship that God has called us into as brothers and sisters in Jesus should benefit the brother and should benefit the sister, right? And should benefit one another. And so God is calling us to be givers and receivers in different seasons. We'll be on both sides of that coin uh, at times. Sometimes you'll be on the receiving end and sometimes you'll be on the giving end. But I'm telling you, you can go ahead and mark it down. There will come a time when that will switch. And when you were once a giver, you'll have to become a receiver. And once you were a receiver, you'll have to become a giver. It's just the way God has ordained it to be. And, and we talked about that symbiotic relationship, but we also talked about what the kingdom of God is not, and that's a parasitic relationship, meaning that in the kingdom, it can't be about just us. You know what I'm talking about? And so we had to kind of step away from that. Well, we, we, we covered that scripture last week in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to cover a portion of scripture uh, this morning, and it's only going to be, and I, and I didn't count exactly, it's only going to be probably 16, 17 words. Not 16 or 17 verses, but 16 or 17 words, man. And so we're going to cover a portion of Scripture this morning that the moment you start reading it, I feel guilty. And there, there's this sense of, of failure that I acknowledge in my own life in trying, boy, to hold up what I'm about to share with you. And as a matter of fact, as I read this scripture, I believe that I'm going to be in great company this morning because I have a sense that every one of us, when we go through this scripture, we're going to say, yeah, I've come up short there. Right? And so uh, turn with me to... 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you don't have a Bible, a phone, an iPad or whatnot, you can follow along on the monitors up here. And uh, uh, it's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Sounds like three verses, and it is, but it's three concise, compact, powerful verses. And we're going to sit on this. And I know you're thinking to yourself, Trent, how many weeks is it going to take us to get through chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians? A few more. I'll just say that. So here we go. This is the scripture. Now, go ahead. Go ahead. Take this. Think of yourself. I'm thinking of Trent this morning. So I'm not projecting anything on you. As a matter of fact, as we process through this scripture, I want you to know that my very first application of this scripture is to me. And I'm feeling and hearing God speak this to me. Not, to, not, not looking at you and saying, hey man, you need to get this straight, Kevin. I talked to Marissa. You need to get this. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not doing that. I talked to Becky. Tim, you better get this. No, no, no. I'm talking about Trent. 
and you need to take this for yourself. I'm taking it for me, Taryn, you know. And this is what the scripture says. Verse 16, rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Anybody feeling like you might have missed out on that a little bit? Anybody? Me and Josh. Josh, okay, we got a few hands. We got some confessors coming clean. Come clean. All right. All right. I see people up there, I mean, sticking one finger of a pinky up. This ain't an auction, man. Give me a 10, 15, 20, you know what I mean? Listen, and he says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. All right, now we're going to contextualize this because we have to figure out where we came from, where we're going. So let's pray before we do it. Father, in Jesus' name, for my brothers and sisters, Lord, who have gathered here today, I pray, oh God, that they would be encouraged, that they would be strengthened, that this symbiotic relationship that we have with one another in the care of Jesus, Lord, would express itself today, and that you would pour your spirit out upon each of us, and we would all in this great exchange of your love and your word and your spirit would leave here energized and strengthened to the benefit of one another and to the expansion of your kingdom, not ours, but your kingdom. Lord, we need your guiding hand, Lord, to control the stammering and stuttering of my lips this morning and the nerves. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that your spirit would just settle and begin to speak right now open hearts and minds that we might receive in the name of Jesus we pray and we ask these things amen amen okay so so let's look at this scripture because right off the bat there's an implication that this is a a requirement of a a great engagement between the hearer of this word and God right Uh, Paul is giving uh, this directive and it is a present imperative meaning this is a command this isn't we can't opt out of this either Last week we looked at some things that were a present uh, imperative. They were commands. This too is a present imperative. It's a command. So when he says to do this, he's not saying to do this if you feel like doing it, Trent. He's saying do this and ultimately what we're going to realize, it is to our benefit. Sometimes there's commands set forth in our life by God literally to rescue us from ourselves. You know what I'm talking about? There's times when Clark was a little boy, I would tell him to do things because I loved him and I knew it was beneficial for him to do it. He didn't understand it, but as a grown man looking back now, he understands that those commands given were ultimately to nurture him, to protect him, to build him up. At the time, man, he wanted to buck up against me. You know, resist. Not understanding the value of the command. The direction. And so the scripture calls right here in verses 16 through 18 into this deep engagement with God. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Now listen, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you to some degree why this deep engagement 
is absolutely necessary by simply looking at the previous verses that we covered last week. And they too were present imperatives, commands. When you look at the commands that God or Paul had given through the Spirit of God to the Thessalonian church, when you look at those commands, you understand why he then goes to this directive about us in this deep engagement with God. This was the commands that we were to do. Listen to this. Warn those who are idle and disruptive. Listen, if you're engaged in the people's lives where you're trying to give guidance, man, you better be engaged with God. You know what I'm talking about? You have to be walking in the Spirit. That's one thing he told us to do. Encourage the disheartened. Meaning God has given us courage to give to the discouraged. Well, where does the courage come from if it's not coming from this deep engagement with God? And then help the weak. Meaning what? Those who lack strength, God will give you strength to give to them. You better be close to God. Be patient with everyone. You know you better be <laughs> close to God. Right? Yeah. 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 Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. And the implication is that you will be wronged. The command, the present imperative right there was don't return it. You will be wronged in this life. You realize that, right? How many of you think that you're going to navigate this life and never be wronged? Would you raise your hand so we can all laugh? <laughs> right? It ain't happening, man. You ain't getting out of this life and not being wronged. It will happen. And then it says this. But always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Remember we were talking about that striving last week. Finishing strong, leaning in, right? So this deep engagement is absolutely essential for us to carry out that type of a symbiotic relationship. We have to have this deep, intimate, vibrant engagement with God. Absolutely essential. So now let's look at this scripture. We're going to kind of break it down and we're going to confess or I am in, in my lack, in my failure in this, because I have failed at times to rejoice. Me and my brother back here. This is what the scripture says. Let's look at this. When it says rejoice always, it is the Greek word kairo, which means to be glad, joyful, always. Right? Now here's the crazy thing about this scripture is that this is a command that's been given to the Thessalonian church. And guess what's happening to the Thessalonian church? They're under intense suffering and persecution. And then Paul says to them, hey guys, rejoice always. And I know what you're initially thinking. Rejoice always. Trent, do you know what I'm going through? Do you know where I've been? Hence the reason I brought up the condition of the Thessalonian church. Paul knew what they were suffering. Paul knew the weight under them. When he says to them, rejoice always. 
How can we rejoice always? How can we find ourselves in situations like that and possess joy? Well, this isn't some type of joy that we conjure up through some type of self-manipulation and talking positive to ourselves. That's not the joy Paul's talking about. You know what I'm talking about? We can sit back and we can read as many positive thinking books as we want to read. That's not going to generate the joy that Paul's talking about. He's not talking about a natural joy. He's talking about a supernatural joy. As a matter of fact, this is what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, speaking to these same people regarding their joy. He says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering, listen, with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So when the, the uh, present imperative, the command of Paul comes, and he says, rejoice always, you know what he's literally saying? Let the joy of the Holy Spirit infuse you always. He's not saying to you, get happy. That's not what he's saying. He is saying, let God fill you with his joy. The command is to make yourself available as a conduit by which God can flow in and through you. And he's saying, this should be happening all the time. Do you, are you with me? This isn't a joy that is dictated by circumstances or situations, favorable or unfavorable. This is the joy that is dictated by the presence of the Spirit of God that can't be nullified by any other active agent, agent in existence. Meaning, because it cannot be nullified, it cannot be neutralized, then the joy is always accessible, even in the darkest of moments. And some of you are going through dark moments. And yet God is available to give you joy. His Spirit is available to give you joy. Romans chapter 8 verse 18 says this. Now I want you to listen to this. This is Paul speaking. The same writer... Not the same author, God's the author, but the same writer. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul is saying what we're going through now doesn't even compare to what we're going to experience. That's going to be revealed, revealed in us, right? Did, did, did you get that? Listen, this is so, so important. Listen, for us to possess the joy, for us to allow that joy, we have to have our minds and our perspective altered by the reality of the Spirit of God delivering this joy into us, for us. Listen, listen. And we cannot do that when our hands are so deeply clenched on the things that are temporal and we devalue those things that are eternal. The Apostle Paul literally says right there that our present sufferings, which are temporal, will not even compare to the things that will be revealed in us, the eternal things. 
the things that will last forever. Paul was saying, loosen your grip, your grip on temporal things and strengthen your grip on eternal things. Because when we're only invested in the temporal, then the temporal can overwhelm us in its failures and in its difficulties and in its sufferings. But the moment we begin to loosen the temporal and we begin to grasp and grip the eternal, then the leverage that the temporal has over us is neutralized. And the grip of the eternal then allows our perspectives to be altered so even in those most difficult moments and situations, we can find ourselves being joyful, rejoicing. Always. But we have to remember that the joy is provided by God. By God. Listen. The story goes there was a little boy one day who was trying to pick up a rock. And he said to his dad, he said, Dad, this rock is too big. He said, son, you can do it. The boy strained and tried. But he said, Dad, the rock's too heavy. The father insisted, son, you can do it. He tried again, Dad, it's too heavy. He said, Son, you're not using all your strength. Dad, I am, I am. It's too heavy, the rock is. Dad, why do you continually say I'm not using all my strength when the rock is just simply too heavy? And the father said, I know you're not using all your available strength because you haven't asked me to help you yet. The joy that Paul speaks of, that is obtainable, is obtainable through God alone, and it does not reside in our strength, in our ability to manipulate our own thoughts. It is to literally open ourselves up and expose ourselves to God and to allow and to seek the joy of God to be manifested in our lives and in our being, a joy that's unreachable by the enemy. Let me say this to you. Just let joy, let God make you joyful. In spite of. In spite of. But he doesn't stop right there. And the whole time, man, I'm reading this. I'm falling under the conviction of the Spirit, man. I'm like, oh God. How many times have I gotten caught up in... In the busyness of life, how many times have I gotten caught up in the busyness of church? How many times have I gotten caught up in in the busyness of ministry only to have my joy forfeited? Because I had lost sight. And I'm reading the scripture, preparing it for you, and I find this deep conviction just falling on me. Say, oh, I need God's joy. I need, I need God's joy. I need God. Trent needs God's joy. Then he says this, and I find this to be a beautiful placement by divine order where he says, pray continually, which is sandwiched in between, rejoice always and give thanks in all circumstances. Prayer, continual prayer, is sandwiched in between these two directives that we find to be outside of our own reach. And the key is constant prayer. Now what you and I think, and I've said this many times here at the Drew Church, what you and I think when we think about praying continually is talking to God. 
And that's part of it. We know this. But that's not all of it. When he says pray continually, talking to God isn't all of it. As a matter of fact, I would go so far, I would go so far as to say there are three elements in praying that you and I all need to embrace. There is the talking to God. That's the asking. The listening to God, that's the seeking. And the responding to God, that's the knocking, the acting. That's all part of praying. So when you and I are talking about praying continually, and you say, man, I talk to God. Okay, I talk to God about what, the, what I wanted and what, what I needed. And I say, well, what did God say? I don't know. I didn't have time to listen. What did God tell you to do? I don't know. I'm not doing it because I don't know. I didn't listen. All I did was talk. I say to you that we need to be speakers to God, right? Seekers of God and knockers, meaning acting, responding to what God says. I love how Jesus illustrates this so beautifully in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. This is Jesus. St. Trent, this is Jesus talking. And he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. This is Jesus. Then Jesus says this, for everyone, listen, for everyone who asks receives. But my question is this, receives what? Did it say receives what they were asking for? That's not what it says. That's not what it says. The one who seeks finds. Finds what? What they were looking for? That's not what the scripture says. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. What door? And open to what? Was it the door you were looking for? Open to what you were expecting? That's not what the scripture says. As a matter of fact, I would say the more we pray, the more we seek and the more that we knock, what is really taking place in that moment is this realigning of our own thoughts and our own desires and our own, our, our own ambitions into alignment with God. The thing that I've come to discover more and more, Boyd, in my own life is the more I pray when I approach God and I have a different perspective of, of the, than what God has, the more I pray, the more I find myself coming into alignment with what God is doing. And I'm no longer asking God to do this, but I'm saying to God, let me do that. Let me come in to you. This is what C.S. Lewis, the writers of the Chronicles of Narnia said. He said, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. I pray. It doesn't change God. It changes me. So when he says pray continually, he's talking about bringing yourself into alignment with the purposes of God to where what you're seeking is what God is wanting to give you. Why would he withhold from you being a good father when his son is asking for bread to give you a snake? He will give you the desire of your heart when you come into alignment with him, when the desires of your heart are his desires, then you find the very thing that you are looking for. I remember, I remember several years ago, it was a, 
1999. We were about to party like it was 1999. I remember I bought a little pickup truck. It was a Mazda B2500 SE. Little pickup truck had been wrecked. Boy, that pickup truck, it had some frame damage, brother. And it was a body-on-frame design. It wasn't a unibody, but a body-on-frame. And the, 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 uh, the bed of the truck basically just sat on two steel beams. You know what I'm talking about, Larry. There's not much to that frame. And that frame was bent. And at the time, I knew it was bent. I knew it needed to go to the, uh, uh, the body shop. We were going to put it on a frame rack, and we were going to have to straighten it. But I needed a car. It was winter time. I needed to get back from work. And I licensed that car up. We got it all going and whatnot. And I was driving down the road, middle of winter time, in a car with frame damage. <laughs> Listen to this. It's winter time. And I pull into my driveway in six inches of snow. And I see four wheel tracks. I see my two front wheels. And I see my two rear wheels. And I'm telling you, man, you can get behind me. I had a friend drive my truck. I followed him, and I was going down the road. My truck was sideways, man. I'll say, I'm telling you, there was four wheel tracks. Four lines I was leaving in the snow. You didn't have to tell, hold on, brother. You didn't have to tell me that I was out of line. I knew I was out of line. Listen, listen to this. I took that thing to a shop. They slapped that bad boy on the frame rack. I sit in there and I listen to the pulling. I listen to that steel bending, popping, snapping. You could hear it. And I saw the pressure. And I saw that thing just they begin to measure that thing. And, and they said it, and they said to me, they said, This thing's straight as straight as factory, Trent. You ready to go? They put the bed back on, whatnot. Holes actually lined up then. They put that bed back on. I could have taken their word for it. You know what I did? The first snow. I drove down the drive, and I got out of that truck, and I walked back there, and I looked down. Two tracks, Jack, and they were straight, and they were pure, and they were true. We are called through prayer to live a life that's single-tracked, a life where ours is lost in his where there's not a distinction between where God is going and leading and where we're going. We're literally lost in the tracks of the Father. And praying continually brings us into alignment where we are lost in His guidance. But that's not all that He says. It's not all that He says. He then says this. Give thanks in all circumstances. Again, the present imperative command. But you know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. He doesn't say give thanks that you lost your job. He said, but give thanks in those circumstances. It may be going bad, but keep thankful. You know why? You know why he's saying give thanks? Because if we're not giving thanks, we're becoming unthankful and ungrateful. And we're starting to lose our focus on the provider and the supplier of the things that we're thankful for. 
And if we allow unthankful conditions to break us and to make us ungrateful people, then you can bet your bottom dollar the enemy will continue to bring about in your life conditions that will produce an unthankful spirit, ungrateful spirit. If you allow that to work, if the enemy sees by putting you in a difficult situation, it'll create a hostility towards gratefulness and thankfulness. You can order it, man, like, like, like Amazon. It's delivered day after day, those conditions, because that's the weapon that's been formed against you. But the moment you reject it and you remain thankful, that weapon formed against you will not prosper. That's how you defeat the enemy when the games the enemy has done in the past, he continues to do to reproduce the same outcome. You have to step in through the power of God and say, no, 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 I'm remaining thankful. Then the enemy abandons that game plan and has to try something else because they know at that point, I can't make Kevin ungrateful. I can't make him unthankful by doing this. But because we continue to give in, the enemy continues to prescribe to us this prescription of ungratefulness and unthankfulness. And he says to give thanks in all circumstances this is what he says in Philippians same writer do everything without grumbling or arguing ah I'm reading this I'm literally you know you guys will come up to me sometimes at the church you'll say oh Trent I should have worn my steel toes you were stepping on my toes I'm telling you I'm, I'm studying this scripture and I got on spiritual steel toes I'm studying because every time I read the scripture I feel like I'm stepping on my own feet when in fact it's God stepping on my feet so we're all even bruised a little this morning. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault. Listen, in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them. Among who? A warped and crooked generation. Like the stars in the skies, you hold firmly to the word of life. Man, you... Listen, i got to bless my brother Jeff over here. Uh, the, the plant's closing. I worked there for 25 years for that company. Jeff's worked there about the same amount of time. Would that be right, Jeff? 21 years? Okay. And they announced, they announced uh, just a few weeks ago they're closing the plant down. You heard it, right? We've all read it. closing down. Man, there's people over there. Jeff said, man, when they came out and made that announcement, there were people in the break room crying, people on the floor crying. People, and, and I've heard people go up to Jeff and say, Jeff, what are you going to do? Trying to instill this sense of fear and this sense of, this, this sense of despair. And Jeff said, I'm not sure. I'm just waiting on God. You know what he's doing? You know what he's doing? He's shining like stars amongst a warped and crooked generation who doesn't understand the peace and the thankfulness. He's thankful God has provided for 21 years. Losing this job doesn't make him less of a provider. He might just have to get a little creative for me 
And I'm anticipating this. And so he's shining like a star, man, amongst people. And the difference is Jesus, right? Right? Yeah. Being thankful keeps our focus on God and not our circumstances. You know that, right? You know, because if we start concentrating on our circumstances, we can quickly shift off the tracks and become unthankful people. Right? It's like the man with no shoes is ungrateful until he meets the man with no feet. Right? The man with one eye is ungrateful until he meets the man with no eyes. Keeping a thankful spirit keeps our focus on God and not our circumstances. How many of you have read the book of The Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom? Many of you. The Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom, her family were Christians during the Nazi concentration camps during World War II. And they suffered a great deal. And uh, Corey, who later became a, a huge influential Christian voice in her generation, had an older sister who was in those same concentration camps with her, who was much deeper, much more grounded in her faith, and ultimately, through her influence, brought Corey Ten Boom to a deeper understanding of God's provision. Well, they were being transferred from one concentration camp to another concentration camp. And her sister Betsy was with her. And they were transferred to the worst camp that they had been during their captivity. And it was at Ravensbrook. And when they arrived at Ravensbrook, they were put in a barrack that was overcrowded, that was filthy and dirty, and it was infested with fleas. Now, how many of you have pets that live in your house? God forgive these people. <laughs> Listen, how many of you ever had a pet that you love that doesn't drug a flea into your house? And you're, you got that bullet and that gun, you're like flea or dog. You know, you, you're about to call it. You know what? But this barrack, man, hey, 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 I'm not, hey, I, I love God's creation. We'll leave it at that. Do I have a pet? No. Well, that's another sermon. Let's move on. Okay, okay. They, they go into this barrack, and it's infested with fleas. Well, they had snuck a Bible, or at least portions of a Bible, into this barrack. And so, believe it or not, they gathered in this corner, collectively, these believers, amongst a, a, a large number of Jews and, and other people who were isolated in the culture, who were condemned for death, but they, they, they had to draw as believers to this scripture. You know what scripture they read that day when they first arrived there? At Ravensbrook, you know what they read? They read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 and 18. And Betsy reads the scripture. Rejoice always. Pray continually. And in all things give thanks, for this is the will of God. So she stops them, and, and Betsy says to them, Lord, I give thanks for this dirty old barrack. 
I give thanks for the life that you've given me. You've protected. And said, all of a sudden, said, Corey was in line with her and was amen in her, was coming along saying, I agree with you, Betsy. And then Betsy, with the arrogance of a mature believer, said, Oh, God, I thank you for the fleas. And Corey Ten Boone said, Everything in her being revolted at such a ridiculous statement. And she pushed back on Betsy and said, I can't thank God for the fleas. I can't be thankful for that. And Betsy said, oh, Corey, let's give thanks. Let's give thanks. And Corey said she ultimately conceded out of her love for her sister to posture herself with a thankful heart and give thanks to God even for the fleas. And they began to realize something, that night after night they were able to congregate and do their Bible study without being interfered by the guards. They began to understand that the guards were not coming in and abusing and taking advantage of the women like they were in other barracks. And they were able to pray, and they were able to study. And when they got out, they asked and they inquired, why did y'all not come in there and treat us the way you did everyone else? And the guards said, it was the fleas. The fleas kept us out. We didn't want to be infested with those dirty, nasty fleas. Oh, if we could find ourselves in a place where even the fleas of our life in the perspective of God's sovereignty can possess value to us. Can possess value. And then he goes on and he says this. He says this. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now this isn't the first time he's mentioned this. As a matter of fact, if you go into 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says this. It is God's will. Listen. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. So I want you to understand that every time we read the scripture, and there's anything that references it is God's will, understand that it's under the umbrella of the will of God is that you be sanctified. And out of that sanctification, these things flow. When he says in chapter 4, when he says this, it is God's will that you be sanctified, he then says, avoid sexual immorality, and he says to them that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. That falls under being sanctified, the will of God. So now all of a sudden, he says to them, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God for your lives. When he says that, it falls under the umbrella of this sanctification. Do you get that? And you say, what are you talking about, Trent? I'm saying this, that there is in verse, in chapter 4, there's a command of the will of God. There's a, there is the statement, that it is the will of God that you maintain your bodies in an honorable and holy manner. That's what he said. This is the will of God. The same application then goes to this scripture. It is the will of God... What? That you rejoice always. It is the will of God, what? That you pray continually. It is the will of God that you, what? Give thanks in all circumstances. This part, the, the umbrella of sanctification falls over this. And you say, you say, what are you talking about? I'm saying, I'm saying the will of God, 
The sanctification, there's two different applications. There's an application of sanctification over your body and your conduct in regards to your physical being. And then there's an application of sanctification over your mind or your soul and your spirit, which these charges allude to. He's literally talking about the sanctification of the complete person, the physical aspect of who you are, the, the, the psychological, the soul, the spirit. He's talking about a thorough sanctification. You say, well, Trent, how, how do you know that? Well, let's just read this next verse right here in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We don't have to jump two or three books. What does Paul say? Right here in 5, 23 to 24. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. You know what that through and through means in the Greek? It means complete. You know what the second through? Because it's two different words. You know what the second through means? More complete. Entirely complete. He's basically saying, may God sanctify you completely and then even more completely. That's what it's literally saying. Listen to what he says though. Sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. Through what? The sanctifying of you through and through. Listen, we're, we're closing. We're closing. We're going to take communion. We're out. I want you to get this. Now, we said this a few weeks ago. For those of you who were not here, the word sanctified, there's the hagiosmos. And then there's this word for sanctified, and it means to set apart. Very similar, very similar, to make holy, right? He's saying literally in the making whole, the setting you apart, these facets should be expressed in your life. These are things that, that identify with a life that's being sanctified through and through, that we can rejoice. We can pray continuously. We can give thanks. Does that mean we do it every time? No. But you know what? That's not his fault. It is available to us. That's the beauty of it. It is available to us. And when we read that word, sanctified, right there, the hagiazo to set apart, I want you to get this. You are, the desire of God, written by Paul, is to set you apart, apart for an exclusive purpose in honoring God in your life. Now listen, I think it was David Guzik who said this. When we talk about sanctified, we talk about being set apart. He said, let me give you an illustration. He said, you have a dress. Women have dresses. You have a dress you'll wear to church. You have a dress you'll wear to Walmart. You might have a dress you'll wear to a dance if you're not a Nazarene. Right? <laughs> you'll have a dance that... You'll wear to a ball. All those are dances. You might have a, a dress that you'll wear just for family photos. You want to look pretty. You know? But then there's a wedding dress. You don't wear a wedding dress to Walmart. You don't wear a wedding dress to a dance. You don't wear a wedding dress to a family photos. You know where you wear a wedding dress? You wear a wedding dress to a wedding, man. Why is that? It's been set apart. It is designed for one exclusive purpose. To be worn, to be identified 
as a dress for a particular occasion and not to be worn carelessly in any other event, venue, or situation. So what do you say, Trent, about being sanctified? I'm saying to you this morning, I'm saying to you this morning that God has called us for that purpose. Might I even say wedding dress people. Exclusive. God's got a purpose for you. God's got a purpose for me. Why are you wasting it? Could you imagine the idea, boy, boy, imagine this. Could you imagine if we were going down the road and we saw a woman digging a ditch in a wedding dress? You'd want to pull over and say, sister, why are you wasting that? Why are you staining that? Why are you ruining that? Don't you know that's a wedding dress? It's not so different. Then I watch those of us who call ourselves sons and daughters of Jesus conducting ourselves recklessly disregarding the purpose that God has designed us for, dirtying ourselves up, skewing ourselves, cheating ourselves, cheapening ourselves from the very purpose that God has designed us for. This is a sermon I had to preach to myself. You know? Am I cheapening God's purpose in my life? Am I wasting it? Am I squandering it? Am I staining it? You realize that we've been fitted for this apparel. Custom made. Each person's uniquely made by God. It only fits you. And only you will give an account for that fitting. And only I will give an account for my fitting. So what we're going to do this morning, and I say this to everyone here, I don't whether it's your first time here, second time, third time, fourth time. If you're a follower of Jesus, we're going to give communion this morning. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I beseech you, if you'll allow me to jump on the old King James, I beseech you, I plead with you, partake in communion if you're a follower of Jesus. This is as much for you as it is for anyone here. You don't have to be connected to TDC. You have to be connected to Jesus. And so I'm going to ask Miss Terry and I'm going to ask Brother Danny to come. And this is what we're going to do. You guys know how this works.